it can be tough if your whole life you felt like you always had to scrimp and save and live super lean to realize there are actually lots of opportunities with that money. Welcome to the Veterinary Financial Podcast, where we discuss financial freedom and whole life success. I'm Meredith Jones, an emergency vet in Virginia. And I'm Willie Bidot, a lab animal specialist in California. We are excited to announce that registration is open for the Veterinary Financial Summit, which will be held virtually October 22nd and 23rd of 2022. Go to vetfinancialsummit.com to learn more. Our guest today is Grace Kim. She's a veterinarian, a financial coach, and the founder of Richer Life DVM. Grace, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. It is a pleasure to be here. Okay, Grace. So you do some financial coaching. And one of the main questions is where does the journey start when somebody wants to get their finances on track? Yeah. So when someone wants to get their finances on track, it's so interesting because everyone's coming from different angles. Usually, at least in my case, a lot of them are coming in because they are having student loan debt questions that are coming up, or maybe they want to save more money or they want to pay down other types of debt. And I feel like what's most important is just getting more clear about why it is you want to get your finances on track. Because I feel like the whole topic can be very overwhelming, and people don't know exactly where to start. And for me, a good place to start is number one, figure out exactly what it is you're trying to aim for. And then after that is, okay, let's start getting a little bit more organized with your finances. Yeah, it seems like the student debt thing is one that triggers everybody's mind. Yes, (laughs) yes. Yeah, it's a big topic and it can get unfortunately really complicated, which is why I feel like a lot of people, they tend to put it off until they absolutely need to deal with it. And so, yeah, that's something that I just strongly encourage people, even if finances or money is not a comfortable topic for you, the earlier you seek out information and do a little bit of research, there's so many people out there, people, organizations, groups that are there to help you. So to really utilize those resources. So one of the first steps when you're wanting to get your money under control typically is just figuring out where your money is actually going. And so what do you call that? Do you like to call it a budget or do you like to call it something else? And why is it important? Yeah, so budget, I use it because that's the word most people are familiar with. But I do like thinking of it more as your cash flow plan or spending plan, because that's essentially what you want to do with it. Rather than thinking about you have to fit within a budget, it's more about what you want to do with your money. So what you're planning on doing with your money. So I like to approach it more from that perspective. But yeah, that word budget, it does tend to, again, it's one of those words where people hear it and then they tend to tune you out because they don't really like doing it. But it can take on a lot of different forms too. And that's the other thing I always like to stress is budgeting does not look the same from person to person. Even within a household, it's not going to look the same from person to person. So you really do have to find a method that works for you. 
Yeah. So talking about the method, one of the questions that I had was, what is the best way to get started with budgeting and what application do you recommend or Excel or whatever you use for budgeting? Sure. Yes. So with budgeting, there's not one right way to do it. The best way to do it is the way that you're actually going to stick with it. <laughs> so, you know, you can have someone create the perfect budget, but if you're not going to check in with it at all or do anything with that, then it's pretty much useless. So I do like using some form of zero-based budgeting. So for people who aren't familiar with zero-based budgeting, it's essentially whatever money that's coming in, so literally like the money that's coming into your checking account, you allocate those dollars. So the dollars can go towards bills, it can go towards debt payoff, it can go towards savings. So there's several big buckets that that money can go to, and it's really just figuring out where you want to put that money. Because what happens for most people is if you're making um, relatively good income, then what tends to happen is that the money just sort of builds in your checking account and it just sits there and people don't know exactly what to do with it. So it's not really working for you. The money's not doing its job and doing all the things it can do for you. And then in other cases, also if you're more paycheck to paycheck or maybe even you're spending a little bit more than what you're bringing in, Again, that zero-based budgeting concept is so important because you have to understand you have a set amount of money that you can allocate. And when people get into problems with spending more than what they're making, it's because they don't have a good grasp of actually how much money they have. So I really like using that concept of zero-based budgeting. And the app that's really good for that is called YNAB or You Need a Budget. So that's ynab.com. Uh, there are other ones out there, but that's the one that is pretty popular amongst those who would like a budgeting app. Yeah, I wish we had a referral link for that. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great app. I actually use Mint for my personal, but for my business, I use YNAB. Yes. I guess personally, I don't care about my budget, but <laughs> for my business, I care more. So YNAB is my go-to. Well, what I think is interesting too, because actually I do the same thing. So for my business, I use YNAB. And I think it's because we started our budgeting before YNAB even existed. So it's sort of like we already found our own way of doing it and it would be kind of tough to switch it over. But if you're starting from scratch, I think YNAB is a great first step. Certainly another plug for YNAB. I also love it. And so in the interest of not letting your money just pile up or not coming up short, one way to do that is to automate your finances. And so what are your best tips for doing that? Yes, automation is so wonderful. <laughs> I highly recommend it. And again, it comes back to that awareness of what's going on with your money. So one really good first step is number one, listing out what your expenses are, your regular fixed monthly expenses, because those are going to be the easiest things to automate. So list them out. If you need to do it on just a piece of paper, that's fine. If you want to do it on a spreadsheet, it's fine. But regardless, you just have to list them out. So many people don't go through this step. And that's why they don't really know what's going on with their money. They've never done the exercise of what are my monthly expenses. So go through that first. And then from there, you can just automate what you can. You can set it up through your bank. 
So you can do like a bill pay through your bank. You can have it just like a direct debit from your checking account by filling out an ACH form. You can automate it and put it on your credit card as just a recurring transaction or recurring payment. So there are different ways to do it, but just line by line, go through and figure out which ones you can easily automate. And for most monthly expenses, there is a pretty easy way that you can automate those. Automizing everything is so important. Even you mentioned, you know, credit card. It's like, yeah, you can pay those bills with your credit card, but make sure you're right. paying your credit card at the end of the yes. month as well. Yeah, thank <laughs> you for bringing that up too. Yes, that is so important. Also, credit cards, I know people can feel strongly one way or the other towards credit cards. As you can probably tell, I am not anti-credit card. I use credit cards all the time myself. But yes, in order to use credit cards, you have to be a good credit card user, meaning you are paying your balance in full every month. And I did, that's actually a really good reminder that automating, as nice as it is, as a set it and forget it sort of method, you definitely want to set it, but don't forget it. So you do want to check in on a regular basis. What I'm thinking of mostly are things like subscriptions or memberships where it's easy to join and just sign up for something and then time goes on and maybe you don't use it but it still just keeps coming out of your checking account or it keeps going onto your credit card so making sure that you keep on top of those types of expenses as well yeah i think that's happened to everybody at some yes, point everyone <laughs> yeah whether it's a gym membership that you're not using anymore or whether it's one of those subscription yep. boxes seems to be a really common thing that's happened to everybody it happens with my phone bill so you know how when you check your phone bill they have all those little surcharges in there and i don't even know how long this was happening for but it was some sort of insurance like an extra insurance which we didn't need. And sure, it's like maybe a $2.99 or $3.99 per month, but this probably went on for like several years before I caught it because I think most people, I'm probably not the only one, you don't look at the itemization on your phone bill and see where all of those little surcharges are. So make sure you check things like that as well. I think I know what company you're talking about. But <laughs> <laughs> That happened yep. to me too. Just <laughs> my wife and I had two ninety nine charge every yes. month, and I'm like, I don't need no insurance. Like I've right. never damaged any phone since the past, I don't know, ten years or so. <laughs> I know it's so sneaky. They just put it in there. Yeah. So you know, talking about my wife, one thing is, how do you involve your partner in budgeting or the overall financial plan? Yeah, it's such an interesting dynamic that I find with couples because typically you will have one partner that's more into the finances than the other. Other possible pairings are you have two people that are really into it together, and then you also have the other end of the spectrum where nobody's paying attention at all. But I would say for a lot of couples, it's one partner tends to be more in charge of the money than the other. I would say regardless of where you fall in there, just to make sure you keep that open line of communication. You just have to be on the same financial page because there's so many areas with money, especially where you can have disagreements, where you have different things that you prioritize that you think should be spent on, right? And so you have to make sure that you're both on the same page and you understand 
oh, you know, this isn't because, you know, you're trying to make my life <laughs> harder that you're spending money in this way, but making sure that, okay, for our joint expenses, this is what is agreed upon. For any separate expenses, this is how we're going to deal with it, whether we have separate spending accounts or we just check in with one another when we do spend. But having that underlying, you have to keep that open line of communication. Otherwise, things can go south very quickly. So, you know, I want to unpack that a little bit because like you mentioned, usually there's one partner that is really focuses on finances yes. or like, man, we're spending a lot of money. We need to figure out our budget situation. Mm -hmm. When people reach out to you for a financial coaching session, does it usually involve that person first having a consult with you and asking you like, hey, how do I involve my <laughs> You know, interestingly, I haven't had too many they tend to be pretty much on the same page, which I find interesting because obviously we know that one of the main reasons couples fight is because of money. But for whatever reason, the people that I speak to, they tend to be pretty much on the same page. But even just from my own personal experience, you know, I know how hard it can be at times to agree on certain things. And the other thing to remember is even if the other person, you know, let's say you're the person who's really into it and your partner not so much is going back to finding that common middle ground. Where can we meet together? And let's just start with that step first. We don't have to agree on everything. Let's just start with that little step first. And also to make sure just in case something were to happen that you have some sort of document or something that can walk your partner through like all of the different money tasks that you do typically do because I mean, that would just be really hard on your partner if all of a sudden you were not in the picture for whatever reason, you know, you're in the hospital or whatnot and things still need to run without you being there to take care of all the money management tasks. So making sure they know where to find that information so that the bills can still get paid and all of that can still run pretty smoothly. I really love that because, you know, it, it popped up in my head some books that I have read about meeting with your spouse on a frequent basis, you know, maybe mm -hmm. once a month and, and go over mm -hmm. like, you know, for my wife and me, it's like, this is our net worth. This is right. what's happening. Yeah, definitely, you know, just touching in on a regular basis. And honestly, for the other person, they may not really be into that, which is fine, you know. So that's a matter of, okay, what can we just keep talking about that's going to keep the interest of both people? <laughs> they don't have to know every single thing. But I think it does also rub off on the other partner. If you happen to be the one that's more interested in the money, that they see your excitement, they see some sort of goal that you want to reach, and especially if it's a shared goal. And it does tend to rub off on the other partner a little bit as well. So it is nice to keep some sort of regular date night or money meeting where you can both connect. Agreed. Yeah, good advice. And so do you advocate for everyone to always maintain a monthly budget or does it depend on their situation? I'm all about it depends on your situation because money is not one size fits all. It really isn't. Just everyone does it so differently. My only request for people is that you do at least check in on a monthly basis, like check your checking account, check your credit cards, your savings. Just make sure there isn't anything really wonky or weird that's going on there. 
there's all these, you know, opportunities for fraud to happen. So you want to make sure that you catch those things sooner rather than later. And I do like at least once a month. I mean, personally, for me, I try to shoot for like the first of the month where I just go in and make sure there's nothing odd looking in the bank accounts and everything's still running pretty smoothly. So let's talk more about your journey. And so how did you become more focused on finances and what led you to become a financial coach? Yeah, so it kind of started, I guess, when I graduated with six-figure student debt back when it was really not as common as it is now. But to be honest, even with that six-figure debt, it was on the low range. It was just under 120 at the time. And the interest rates were lower. And I wish they would lower the interest rates for today's graduates. I don't mm -hmm. know why they haven't done that. But they were much lower back then. So it was actually conceivable for me to go ahead and stretch that out to, in my case, it was a 30-year repayment plan. And so it was doable. It was about a little over $500 a month that I had to pay into my student loans. And this was on a salary of $65,000 at the time. And so that was okay until I got married. And then my husband also had student loan debt. And then we bought a house together. And then our kids came along. We've got three kids. And then money started feeling really tight. And I was just very confused about what was going on. I didn't know how to make that transition from, okay, it's just me and I just have to worry about my finances to, it felt like very quickly it was like, oh, now we're managing household finances. And then also at the time when we started having kids was when I stayed home full time. So my husband was the only breadwinner of the family, the sole breadwinner. And so I did have to switch into this money management role, which was very new to me. I didn't understand the whole cash flow or like what it meant to have some sort of spending plan. So that was when I started really getting into it more and just doing more research. And then in a really strange way, I just got very excited about the topic. <laughs> and that's what jumpstarted it for me. And then coincidentally, at the same time was when the Merck Veterinary Wellbeing Study came out. And if any of you are familiar with that particular study, there are lots of stats in there about how there's a lot of angst and stress and overwhelm around finances specifically for the younger generation. So I decided, well, you know, I'm really excited about this topic. I feel like I have a lot to share and I would love to help my colleagues in this space. So I first started blogging about it and then I went ahead and got my AFC, the Accredited Financial Counselor designation. And that's how I find myself in this space now. Yeah, clearly the double student debt household triggers something <laughs> because that's exactly how I got into it. It's yeah. just like, okay, me and my wife have six figures of student loans. Like, how are we going to tackle this stuff? Right, <laughs> right. Yep, it, the whole equation changes, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, talking about the Merck study, uh, your financial coach for MentorVet, which is an amazing yeah. mentorship program. I had a mentor for the spring semester, I guess. I'm hoping I get another one for the fall semester. Uh, what are the top three money concerns you hear from new grads? Yeah, it's pretty much across the board for most of them. It's the student loans that we talked about earlier. They have questions about that. A lot of them have 
questions about how to save more money and how they can be more effective savers. And then the budgeting piece, just figuring out where's their money going, what to do with it. It's a lot of just financial decision making. What do I do with this? What's my next step? So how do you walk them through being more effective savers? Because that's a question that I've heard and I don't have a concise answer. So how do you answer that? Yeah, so I like using this analogy of the cookie jar. So you can imagine if you put your hand into a cookie jar where you can't see what's inside and you pull out a random cookie, it could be like a chocolate chip cookie, it could be like a peanut butter cookie or whatever your favorite flavor is. And I happen to have a sweet tooth. So I like using this analogy. But you're just choosing like a random cookie from the cookie jar. So then if you happen to run out of your favorite flavor, you don't really know because you didn't really organize your cookies in any sort of way. So I like having the idea of having your savings buckets for different things. So now instead of one big cookie jar that has all the cookies mixed up in it, you have the one that's just for your chocolate chip cookies and one that's just for your macadamia nut. So if we were to replace the cookies with, okay, this is my emergency fund. I only touch this when these certain things happen. This is just for the down payment on the house. This is just for when the car needs to go in for repair. I'm going to take it out of this bucket. So just getting more clear about what it is you're trying to save for, because that's that actually is a common question. Besides, you know, the obvious of, oh, I need to save for retirement the thought of saving anything outside of that gets a little bit murky sometimes. So we have to hone in on what exactly for your life stage and where you are right now, what is it specifically that you want to be saving for? All right. Well, that's a good answer. (laughs) (laughs) And so talking about life stages, you talked about the top three money concerns that you hear from newer grads. What about Mm -hmm. more seasoned vets? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think this is a common misconception is, oh, once my student loans are gone, then like life is going to be grand and amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And don't get me wrong, it can be. But usually there's other stuff coming up. I mean, maybe you have a partner or you're starting a family or you're buying a house or Maybe you want to invest in real estate. So you're trying to, you know, put more money towards that. Perhaps you have like aging family members that you need to help out as well. There is always a use for your money. Always. So it's going to always be things that you want to do and things that you don't want to do, like replacing the roof on your house. So there's always going to be a job for your money and the same basic principles apply whether you are a new grad that is deeply in debt versus you're 15, 20 years out and you have a comfortable nest egg. There will always be something that your money needs to be doing for you. So you always have to just check back in with yourself. Where are we right now? What are some short-term goals, long-term goals? Do we need to pivot or tweak this in any yep. way? Yeah, certainly there is a theme here. You know, with your budget, set some goals. The budget right. not only means your expenses, it also means, hey, where am I going to save some money? Exactly. Because I definitely have seen some recent grads with quite a bit of cash in their mm-hmm. bank, like, you know, with a good emergency fund. But then they're right. like, what else? Like, I haven't saved a penny for my retirement. 
like, right. well, you know, you already have a decent <laughs> emergency <Yes>. fund. <laughs> so forget about putting money into your savings account, start allocating yeah. it to investing, right. real estate, whatever. Right. And, you know, for those grads who actually graduated without student loan debt, which they're out there. I know a lot of people seem to think everyone graduates with a ton of student debt, but I've met with a fair number who graduated with no debt at all. So they go from this really weird transition of, okay, I live like a student. I mean, even if they didn't take out debt, they still had to live pretty lean to, oh, now I'm making good income. And like, I'm not even trying to save more money, but it's just sort of building up in my checking account. What do I do? And the whole scarcity versus abundance mentality can be a difficult transition to make. Even if someone tells you, hey, you can take a chunk of this and put it towards here. Actually, going through that step can be hard because it feels so safe to have that cash sitting there. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen the same thing with some career transitions also. So mm -hmm. if someone goes from low cost of living area and they're a GP and then they move to a high cost of living area and they're doing ER work, all of a sudden, right. I mean, that can be a huge income boost. And then they've been used to living the way that they're living, even if it's yeah. a higher cost of living. <laughs> right. And then they're like, well, I've got $90,000 and I don't know what to do with it. And <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. a good problem to have though, right? It is. It is. And from there, it does make you really think about, okay, what's important to me? What do I want to do with this abundance of money that I happen to have right now. And yeah, it's a problem that a lot of people don't think about when they get to that stage of like, Oh, I have this problem of maybe having a little bit too much. But it can be tough if your whole life, you felt like you always had to scrimp and save and live super lean to realize there are actually lots of opportunities with that money. And it doesn't mean spending it all. It doesn't mean it has to always be, you know, material things. It can be maybe you want to donate more to some charities or organizations that you feel strongly or nonprofits. So lots of opportunities outside of just, oh, well, I guess I'll spend this on something I don't actually really want just because I'm trying to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then on the other side of that is the lifestyle creep that we hear about. Yes, <laughs> that... <laughs> <laughs> yep, that definitely happens too. Yes. <laughs> and so so lifestyle creep, when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about folks who are making perhaps more money than they used to. And they just say, okay, well, what can I upgrade in my house? Mm -hmm. Or what, what can I upgrade with my hobbies? That sort of thing. So if you've ever had that thought, that's what lifestyle creep is. Exactly. And I don't know from your personal experiences, but from mine, it is crazy easy to fall into that lifestyle creep, lifestyle inflation without really thinking about it. It just comes very naturally with, well, we have a little extra so we can put it towards X, Y, or Z. It can happen pretty quickly. Yep. Yeah, my classic example, you know, really is a car. Yeah. Uh, I seen people mm -hmm. with $1,000 monthly payment and I'm like, mm -hmm. that's very detrimental. That is really, you know, and again, I, I don't like to judge, but, you know, maybe could you have downsized that car or something like that? <laughs> the car is <laughs> usually the first, right? Yeah, the car. And then, you know, feeling like, oh, well, this is because I use it every day. It's totally fine. But then you don't remember, oh, well, there's the gas that we need for this car, especially if it's a luxury brand, you need the premium gas. 
the insurance, the maintenance, like all of those things can really jack up the price of your transportation. That's correct. So one quote that I really like that you said is, what is important to you? And hence, for me, I, I'm thinking, you know, what do I want to save money for? So right. what is the money saving hack that you have come across recently? Yeah, a money saving hack. Um, <laughs> I will be totally honest. I don't seek out money saving hacks anymore. I'm at a stage in my life where spending a little bit more for convenience makes sense because I am quite busy right now. But if you're younger <laughs> and you have a little extra time and you don't feel so time crunched, don't go to the convenience right yet. But I will say something that I think I shared on social media not too long ago was we installed a rain sensor for our sprinkler system. So I live in Omaha. So in the Midwest, we get the extremes of all the seasons. In the summer, we get the really, really hot, you know, humid weather here as well. And it's really cool because it's just this little sensor that gets installed extends off of our gutter and it catches the rain that comes down and when it senses the rain going up to a certain amount then it shuts off the automatic sprinkler system so it's really cool because then i don't have to think about oh i need to shut the sprinklers off because that's like kind of a pet peeve of mine is if i see there's like a downpour happening as i'm driving through and then i see a bunch of sprinklers that are still shooting water out I'm like, no, <laughs> wasting water. <laughs> For me, it's more about the wasting water than wasting money. But they both are, you know, sort of one in the same in this case. And that's a really cool little hack is you can just install that and save on your water, save some money in the process. Uh, yeah, I saw I, that I, in <laughs> I saw that in her newsletter. I love that example. I love it because I live in California and it's the complete opposite. Right now, my grass is dying and the gardener oh. every Thursday, hey, you got to increase the time of your sprinklers. I'm oh, like, no. but it's already oh, at no. nine minutes every night. And the city says to not do it more than six That's minutes. Right. <laughs> That's true. Isn't that so fun? Yeah, it totally depends which part of the country you're in. And there are, yeah, big water restrictions in yeah. California. I know. Like, can we just share, <laughs> ship some of our water over to you guys? I wish. I wish. Yeah, that would be great if we could do that. <laughs> so what are some common financial mistakes that you see veterinarians making? I see a lot of avoidance. <laughs> just flat out, like, this is too much for me to handle thinking about. I'm just not going to think about it because at least for now, like bills are getting paid and I'm able to do most of the things I want to do. And so my biggest response to that is, hey, let's just get started early because the more you delay this, the harder it's going to be when you do try to, you know, either get your finances in order or you realize you have to make some major changes to the way you're spending money. It's just so much easier to hit that earlier rather than later. And so just getting started, it just has to take one little step. It doesn't have to be a huge step, but I do see that a lot. It's just sort of this avoidance, like maybe if I don't look at it, it'll just go away. It's like, well, money is one of those things that's going to stick with you, whether you like it or not, for the rest of your life. So the earlier you can get your spending plan in place and you have some sort of system of managing your money. I promise it gets easier. It just becomes second nature and it doesn't have to take up all this mental space. 
Yeah. And so when you say that, what I think about is the level of burnout in our profession. And that just makes me think, well, is that a contributor, do you think, to people avoiding dealing with their finances? I think in the veterinary profession specifically, yes, I think burnout and just In general, feeling like you just don't have the energy to do much of anything, you know, even with your mental health, your physical health, of course, it would be great to get eight to nine hours of sleep every night and exercise five times a week, et cetera, et cetera. But I think what's interesting about veterinary medicine specifically is that I feel like we are probably one of the only health professions where we're constantly having to battle with what can our clients afford, whereas, you know, our human counterparts. They have the insurance companies that are sort of the middlemen, so they don't have to directly deal with payments and such. So I feel like that actually rubs off on a lot of veterinary professionals and feeling like, well, every day we're having to go through estimates and we're having to tweak our diagnostics, our treatments to fit into what our clients can afford. So it's sort of this overall scarcity mentality at work when it comes to money. So I think that can definitely impact how, you know, at the end of the day, then if you're dealing with that all day long, why would you want to go home and start working on your finances? (laughs) It's not something you want to jump into, right? And so I think if we're just aware of, okay, our clients have their own sort of budgets they're working with, and they may have some struggles and difficulties, you know, how can we sort of turn that around? And If we can feel more confident about the way we handle our money and sort of realizing, hey, you know, this is important to me, maybe I'll put in X amount of dollars per month to cover this important thing that I have in my budget. We can even educate our clients as well and say, hey, you know, maybe here's an idea of, you know, you can set up like a little savings account for Fluffy or, you know, just to help them see it a little bit differently. I know some uh, veterinary hospitals have these types of wellness plans where, you know, you are paying like a monthly fee for certain services. So just getting it to a place where, hey, you know, maybe we are stressed out about money in the workplace, but if we work on ourselves and we can feel more confident about money ourselves, then maybe we can serve our clients better with that mentality of like money doesn't always have to be hard. It doesn't always have to cause this much stress. So hopefully, you know, that's sort of my pipe dream is like we can <laughs> we can also run our businesses and our practices in a way that doesn't make it such a hard topic to broach with our clients. Yeah, that's really good insight. And I hear, of course, people talk about pet insurance all the time and encouraging clients sure. to get that. And I think, of course, that is a great avenue for clients to have that option and not have to think about money as much when they're making decisions about their pets. Mm -hmm. But they could also have a little emergency fund set aside for Fluffy. And so that could work similarly. And it may just depend on how you want to either allocate those funds or how you, in some cases, how far you might go with specialist Mm -hmm. care and that sort of thing. So I like that idea too. Yeah, I go through that with all of my consults too. I'm like, I know you're a veterinarian, but let's talk about if you have pets, (laughs) what if you were the client and all of a sudden you had this unexpected large expense with your own pet? You know, you want to be able to make that decision without feeling that stress and feeling like you didn't do enough to take care of your pet. 
so yeah, it is one of those fields where we're trying our best and we want to do the best for our patients. And hopefully once we turn it around and we try to take care of our own financial health, it can really improve the health of the whole profession. Yeah, I haven't heard the word avoidance in a while. And, you know, it sparks something because it's usually, oh, I don't have time or you just, I just can't. Or, you know, they even will book a consult with you. And this has happened to me where I Mm -hmm. give him like, this is what I would do if I'm in your situation. Mm-hmm. A month later, they have not started anything. Right. But that said, you know, resources. So we talk about YNAP, but we really haven't said, you know, what resources do you recommend? Because people digest information differently. So any podcast, yeah. book, blog that you would recommend? Yeah, I haven't updated it in a while. So this is a good reminder to update it. On my website, I have resources that have exactly what you said, they, you know, books and podcasts and other resources that veterinarians can go to. Once you get these little nuggets of financial wisdom, it's really actually fun to go through all these resources and really get that foundation down. It only has to take like one resource, honestly, before someone starts really diving deeper and going sort of down that rabbit hole. So I do highly recommend whatever your learning style is, whether it is through audio or visual, to really take advantage of the resources that are out there, because there are so many of them, so many free resources as well. Yes, there are many. (laughs) Including this one. (laughs) You know, I started with one podcast and I have like 20 that I need to listen on a weekly basis. And it's just, I love the information. And then those podcasts recommend the books. I rarely read books before and now I'm trying to read one a month. That's crazy. (laughs) It is. It does have this really cool snowball effect. So not saying everyone is going to go through that, but just picking one book to start with. And luckily, I feel like they are making the content out there more user-friendly, more relatable to people. So you will find something that's going to suit you out there. Yeah, that is true. So you mentioned your website. What's the best way for our colleagues to get in touch with you? Yeah, I'm kind of old fashioned. Just email is fine. (laughs) I don't spend a ton of time on social media. But you can definitely reach me across all avenues. So grace at richerlifedvm.com is my email. My website is richerlifedvm.com. And across social media platforms at richerlifedvm. So you can reach me across all of those avenues. And so now we've come to our last question. Grace, what is your best advice for our listeners? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> best, the best advice... The best advice is just getting started, honestly. Just start with one thing. I'll tell you what I started with was when I started feeling overwhelmed. It was not even Excel because I didn't know how to use Excel at the time. It was just pulling up a Microsoft Word document and I started just typing in all of our monthly expenses. (laughs) And so that was really my step number one. And that was very illuminating because I never added up those numbers to see what our monthly expenses were. So that is a really just easy first step for anyone. If you don't know where to start and you've never done that exercise, just add up those numbers, see what that looks like, and compare that to what you're bringing in every month, and you can go from there. All right. That's excellent advice. 
So, Grace, thank you so much for nerding out with us today about budgeting <laughs> and money. And yeah, we really appreciate your time and your insights today. Yeah, well, thank you. I don't get a chance to do this very often. So nerding out about budgeting. But yeah, it's always such a pleasure. And I'm just really grateful that you have this podcast for our colleagues, that you have the Facebook group. So it's just wonderful. I think it's a great place for everyone to connect. Thank you so much, Grace. We greatly appreciate it. If you liked today's episode, click the follow or subscribe button. And don't forget to check out vetfinancialsummit.com slash summit to learn more about the virtual Vet Financial Summit coming up in October. Until next time, take care and continue your path to financial success. The information provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a legal or financial professional before making any investment decisions.